Yeah. I'm in uh, Yagara. That's where I am this morning. Is, is it right? Excuse me, what's your name? I'm Mavis. Hi, Mavis. Well, thank I'm, I'm in Yagara, right? You are, for sure. We're, that's why we're here so early. <laughs> You're local lady? I am. I've been here for 62, no, 66 years. Wow. Yes. Um, it's uh, it's a lovely morning, nice and cool. I'd, can I sit down there? Yeah, good. Um, I didn't think anyone was coming this morning. We're here at five, of course, and there's no one here except um, us, and Sean was here. I got a surprise when I pulled up. I thought, where's all the people? <laughs> well, we didn't tell anyone we were coming. See, we, last Sunday we didn't mention it. So and then on Monday morning, it might have been Tuesday morning, we had a brain snap and said, well, look, if we're going to the um, Anzac Day in here, which is 10 o'clock, I think, on Tuesday. Is that right? And uh, the trots are on. Yeah, I always like going to the trots. I thought, well, if we're going there, we might as well go to the town itself. So here we are. But nobody knows, so might you and oh, I might be... Oh, friend down the street. I thought she'd be here. She wanted to be here at 6 o'clock and she hasn't arrived yet. This, so, is, this is my sister, Joan, from Canberra. Hi, Joan. How are you? Hi, Maka. How are you? Yeah, good. Are you staying here, are you, for a while? Just for a weekend. But I'll listen to you as I drive to Mass on Sunday morning. Canberra? Yeah. I do. And this weather's like just like Canberra, isn't it? Oh, it's a bit oh, cold. Beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're used to it. Yeah. So tell me, it's Mavis, isn't it? Um, how um, how did you come to come to Yagara? I married, married a fellow from here, uh-huh. and that's how I come to Yagara. <laughs> yeah. And what's that been like? How many floods have you seen? Oh, I've seen a few, mm. but never down my end of town. Never. I've been in the same house for 62 years and have never had a flood. Yeah. And when Virginia Townsend came to tell me, she said, Mavis, there's going to be a flood. You can come to the school or come with me. I said, no, Virginia, it went in the school before. It doesn't come down here. And my friend Jeanette up the road, she turned up for bed because she lives near the creek. Mm. And she said, I'll go and get my medication. So she went out to the car to come home and get it. And she called me out and it looked like, water just coming over the street that runs down here. So she took off, but she couldn't get home. About two or three minutes later, I went out to sea, and here's water. There's two spare blocks in front of me, and the water would have been two foot to more deep with horses running in it. And I thought, my God, I've got to do something. So I raced in. We were to go to the Hunter Valley that day, so I grabbed. we weren't going. Grabbed my handbag off the table, her phone, my phone, as I closed the kitchen door, it was coming up the kitchen. By the time I got to the carport, it was to more waste. And I was getting to the back gate because I could see a truck on the corner. And I went to one side and I thought, they won't see me for here for the fence. So I went to the other one and was up under my armpits when they got me. Scary, mate. Oh, scary. It was so strong. It was, I couldn't stand up. I was clinging to the gate. It was shaking. And it was Craig South, Bruce Jones, Nick Tullock came first. He was behind me. He said, I've got you, Mavis. I've got your back, Mavis. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my son George was coming across and kept washing them back. But they finally got there, got me over to the corner where the truck was, and I had to hang on to the veranda post because there was another fellow. They were trying to get him on the truck, and he was screaming, they hurt me. <laughs> Then they came back and got me, and I cannot remember what the water looked like. I can remember hearing crashing and banging, watch the fences, but I can't remember seeing the water. And Jeanette and I slept in the car that night at the showground. Yeah, scary. 
Um, it's funny, you know, when we, we do an hour billion, we look like this. We're in a little country town and in a little park and it's – in winter it's usually cold because I'm a city kid. I'm not used to any of this. I live in air condition. Somebody said to me about Darwin. I said, I said, what's it like living in Darwin? He says, oh, well, I've got an air-conditioned car. I drive to work. It's air-conditioned. I come home to an air-conditioned house. But um, no, it's lovely to be here. It's not, nice to be outside, you know. Um, because you're usually stuck in a studio, and, and I, when I work in a studio, I work with the doors. I leave the doors open. I can't stand having them. And it's usually quiet. No one's walking around and making a noise, but there's something nice about um, – you can hear the birds, see, and it's, you're waking up with the rest of Australia. I think there are. Are you up? Yeah. 1,307. Nice to talk to you, Mavis. And you too, Mike. I'm very pleased to meet you. Yeah, you too. 1,300, two. That's our number. Uh, g'day, this is Macca. Oh, g'day, Maka. Tom Curtin, mate. How are you going? Tommy Curtin. Where are you, mate? Oh, we're just on our way back to Catherine now. Just pulled up in Ilfracombe, just outside of Longreach, Queensland. Uh-huh. Ladies and gentlemen, this is yeah. Tom Curtin. Tom Curtin's a, well, he's a rough-riding radio writer and he's a, he's a singer and a songwriter. Um, and you're on the road at the moment, Tom? Yeah, we just finished a... Um, about a six-month tour from Catherine to Cairns to Tassie to South Australia. Just loaded up the the horses and the dogs and a few goats and young family and musos. So we just, <laughs> yeah, just about 72 shows, they reckon, over six months. So we just um, finished in Corriong last weekend down there and um, heading back to Catherine now to start, I think it's next weekend, we start um, the tourist season up in Catherine with our Outback show. So it's, um, I just want to say a massive thanks to all the people that, came out and saw our shows it was absolutely tremendous is this the this the biggest one that you've done for a while yeah i think the last couple of years over covid we toured for six months we sort of did about 50 shows but um yeah i think my wife just cranked it up a notch to see how how good we were so we um yeah we we had the two little kids with us and yeah 72 shows was so far a bit of a record but it was absolutely amazing you know just to see different parts of the country and the communities and families and friends come out and, um, you know, we do an hour outback show roughly and, yeah, get a lot of kids involved and jump up and promote the latest album. Nothing's going to stop us. So it's it's just awesome to get out there and, um, you know, meet all these people. It's nice to be out. We're outside this morning. We're in Yugara and it's about eight degrees here this morning, mate. It's, <laughs> it's, quite, oh, co- it's quite cool on the banks of the creek and... Um, but it's nice to be out. Yeah, that's right. I think it's 17 degrees here, but I'm still shivering. Here it is. Someone's put another coat on. You people up north need counselling. That's the trouble with you. <laughs> I probably do. <laughs> so, Tommy, um, you've had rain up there, haven't you, in the north? Yeah, yeah. We've had a fair bit of rain up in Catherine. They reckon it's pretty, pretty great. And obviously the Kimberley... Got a lot more mates over there near Broome and um, Fitzroy. Obviously washed that river away, but um, yeah, they reckon it's um, a bit of two days ago the dry season swung into action. They reckon up in Catherine Darwin Way and that easterly breeze started coming through. So I thought, well, it's about time we headed home. Yeah, that's a that's a good idea. Uh, we, I've got one of your tracks here, mate, because um, Lee knew you were going to call. So there you go. We'll play a track of yours and. Maybe see you on the road. When are you coming south again? Yeah, I think we're just planning now for mid-October. We finish up in Catherine and then um, 
head down the east coast again. So we'll um, try and catch up on the way somewhere. All right, Tommy. Nice to talk to you, mate. Good on you, Macca. Thanks, mate. Have a good one, eh? Yeah. We'll catch up. Look after yourself. Bye. G'day, this is Macca. G'day, Ian. It's Angela Lathuris calling from Gallipoli. Angela? My God. How, what's, how's yeah. things in Gallipoli? Well, it's very beautiful here at the moment, Ian. Perfect weather. Uh-huh. And we're getting, we're getting ready to um, commemorate the dawn service on Tuesday at Anzac Cove. Yes. Um, I suppose it'll be a lot different uh, to the last couple of years where there was lots and lots and lots of people there. Is there a big, a big crowd gathering or what's the story? What's I, the... I've heard that there's, there are about 1,300 people registered. Uh-huh. So I've never been to one here before, so it'll be a new experience for me. And why did you want to go, this, especially this time, Ange? Um, well, I got the opportunity with my friend Joe Smedley um, to come. It was a bit of a spur-of-the-moment thing, but we're here with a small group of Australians and we're being led by retired Colonel Rod Margett and a local guide called Sanan. And Rod is just an expert on military history and he's taking us all over the peninsula, explaining all of the actions and particularly, you know, for, to understand the landscape here, which unless you see it for, your, for yourself, you can't understand the hardships on top of, you know, the shocking... Um, Oh yeah, I, I know. Orders it. that they were getting from the Brits. Yes, it was uh, the hardships of the landscape were just incredible. Yes, and it's look. I don't know, but um, our military correspondent Pam Cupper, who'll probably talk to us this morning, Pam's been there, wrote a book about it, uh, about Gallipoli with uh, Phil, uh, and um, it's changed. They've got the big cement thing along the front there, haven't they? But um, so, where are you from, Angela? I'm from Bundaberg, mm. and we we had a really beautiful um, moment on the beach at Anzac Cove yesterday, remembering the 15 men from Bundaberg who died at Gallipoli. Uh huh. So we we just stood together, and I told the stories of those servicemen, and we honoured their memory. And I had taken something, some small stones from the beach at Bagara, mm. and each one of us tossed a stone into Anzac Cove just to leave something from home for those 15 men. It was pretty emotional, Ian. I bet it was, yeah. And and that's what uh, they, some people do. They've done that to, to graves in... Um, in, on the Western Front, they take a little bit of soil from somewhere in Australia yeah. and put it on their graves, and uh, which is a very um, uh, well. Gone. I thought about that, but uh, seven of these men have no known grave. Yep. Two of them were buried at sea, and so their names are on the Lone Pine Memorial, and we found those yesterday too, and we visited the graves of six of them. One, one more. To visit tomorrow at the second outpost cemetery. Right. But I thought that might be a better way to remember them 
Mm. And it was just really beautiful. They, they were such a, you know, from all walks of life. There was a doctor, there was the church organist from the Christchurch Anglican. There was a blacksmith and a railway clerk and, you know, all sorts of yep. older men and, and young men. And uh, I've got three sons, in, and it really hits home when you see those graves and those names and you think of all those mothers and wives and fathers mm. and children who, you know, the, the loss, it's something you, you can't... And it's going on really. now. It's going on now in Ukraine. People it's are killing one another. On. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's madness, That's isn't it? it? But it's just... Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's the human condition, really. We love to kill one another. It seems to me. I mean, we don't, but we. Do. You know what I mean? I'm just. Uh... But look, you you I keep know. in touch and maybe ring us next week and tell us, you know, who turned up and and what it was like and things like that, Ange. Okay. Yep, I'd really like to do that, Ian. All right. Well, uh, in, enjoy. It'll be uh, interesting for you, especially first time there. But um, it'll be interesting, and you'll have lots to report. Yep. Oh. Ian, one last thing I just wanted to say. My my grandfather escaped from Asia Minor. He was um, Greek, hmm. and it was not a good place to be in the early part of the 20th century. So my family escaped Asia Minor and came to safety in Australia. So I wonder what he thought when he saw the young men in Bundaberg enlisting to go and fight in the place that he'd escaped from. Exactly. Mm. The conundrums of life. Anyway, Good. I know. Thanks for taking the call, Lee. It's a pleasure, Ange. Nice to talk to you. See okay, you. bye. Lovely to be here um, in Yagara. I just want to talk to some people. What's your name? My name's John Randall. Where are you from, John? I live in Yagara here. Been here three years. Three years? Yeah, worked at the hospital in Forbes and we moved here for a quiet life and retired. And got washed away. And washed away. <laughs> Dear, oh dear. <laughs> yeah, it's great to see you anyway, Macca. Yeah, it's good to be here. Real, real pleasure. Yeah, well, things are, must be looking up now, I'd reckon, in Yagara. The resilience of the Yagara, Yagara people are just amazing and uh, we're proud to be in this little neighbourhood. Yeah, good on you, Johnny. Nice to, nice to talk to you. Cal? I'm, <laughs> I'm just in the, in the uh, park here and this lady rang me... Um, I don't know. When did you ring me? It's uh, Janet, isn't it? Yeah, Janet. Yeah, quite a few times over the years. Yeah. But you rang me uh, just after the flood, didn't you? Yeah, just after the flood, yes, mm. yes. I did an interview on the ABC with Joe O'Brien oh, right. about the flood, yes, yeah. and my house swoop, swooping away. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but um, uh, you're here and that's the main thing and it's a lovely morning. It's nice to be here. Oh, yes, I'm here, I think. <laughs> Sometimes I think I'm not. <laughs> Now, you said to me um, the other day that you, you, you're leaving here, are you? Oh, yes. I'm renting a house in Orange at the moment. I'm in my old dotage. I, I need to go somewhere near the doctors and, and so I don't have to travel. And if they take my licence off me, I'm right. <laughs> so how long have you lived in Yagara? Nearly 60 years. Mm. It'll be very sad to go. But I'll be backwards and forwards. We've still got a farm in Yagara. So. 
So you're packing up your house at the moment, are you? Oh, yes. What a business that is. Mm. Yes. Isn't it? In boxes, cardboard boxes and stuff. Oh. Yeah, everywhere, yes. Luckily, I've had my grandchildren come up and help me move mm. a bit, so that's good. Mm. That's been good. It, uh, yes, it's all been a, t- a very stressful time these last, you know, five, five months, five more, mm. four months. Mm. It has indeed when you lose your house and lose everything and... And, uh, I mean, I'm not the only one. Everyone's, all the houses behind me, a lot of them got swept away. And it's just, you just couldn't believe it. When you woke up that morning and, and you know, didn't, just didn't expect it at all. Mm. And, and there was no sort of warning. I hadn't, you know, well, I had no warning except about nine o'clock, my son rang me from Grenfell and said, you better get out quickly, Mum, there's a, a big flood coming. And you said, no, that can't be wrong. Yeah, that's right. And I, gra- I grabbed a few things and then I looked and I thought I'd, I'd better ring my neighbour, Ruth, and uh, so I rang her, but by the time I'd done that, two, two, bang, and we just moved. The whole house had just moved down and stuck on a, on a carriage-on stump further down the block. <laughs> so that's, that's how it happened, yes. Such a horrendous thing and then I waited there for about five hours till a couple of young blokes were walking along the road when the water had started to go down a bit and so I banged on the window and singing out help 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 so they came and I uh, rescued me I put my arms around one fella's neck and the other and the other one held me behind and we waded out through the water and I then went up to the showground and had a hot shower which I was very pleased it was the best hot shower I've ever had I think it was tremendous but everyone's been marvellous, you know. The donations we've had and the donations we've had to CWA and everything like that for, to give out blankets and, and uh, you know, all that clothing and so forth has been absolutely marvellous. Only trouble is we're having a bit of a struggle with our CWA rooms mm. because we're not eligible for anything like that in the flood because we're, we're not, a, not, a, not exactly a business, we're not exactly per, private people. And we've got to find money to put our CWA rooms back on on, on its blocks again. Well, we're going to we're selling our t- we've been selling our t-shirts, and in uh, I don't know in the next uh, weeks or so we'll be able to give you five thousand dollars to the CWA. So oh, that'll be great. Oh, that'll that's, be that's, oh, marvelous. That'll be better than the poke in the eye with a burnt oh, stick, as Barry Humphreys would say. He says, "Ah, better than the yeah, poke in the eye with a burnt stick." Yes, Barry Humphreys passed away. That's yeah. A, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yes, there you go. So, um, yeah, we'll have five thousand dollars for the CWA in in a week or two. So. Bless you. So there you go. But uh, lovely to see you, Janet. That's tremendous. Yeah, the first time I spoke to you was when I'd I'd been I'd come from a CWA conference, and you were in Orange. And I said to you, you know, I did my midwifery in Broken Hill nine months after the beer strike, and we had so many babies we didn't know what to do with. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a, a similar story around the place. We've just been to Korokai up in the Northern Rivers in New South Wales, and we're in Rochi, Rochester in Victoria. And they're the bit the same as uh, Yagara here. They got hit, you know, overnight in the middle of they didn't know what was happening, and then boom. Where a lot of the places uh, along the Lachlan and wherever yeah, in, yeah, yeah, uh, cool. but have have known, don't they, you know? They said, "Oh, you look, the flood's coming. You got to get out and stuff." But here at Yagara and at Rochi too, they didn't have bang. It was yeah, all well, yeah. It didn't. It came across from the Escort Way. Yeah. Instead of coming around the creek, it just left the creek and came across the paddocks. 
in a great big wall of water. Tsunami of water. What's what's your name? Jeanette. How are you, Jeanette? Very well, thank you. Nice to see you. Nice Thanks to see you. For coming. Thank it's a pleasure. All right, Jeanette um, and uh, Janet. Um, lovely to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Maka, for coming too. Thank you. Good on you. Yesterday I was in Orange uh, at the um, at the airport, and there was a bit of a function there. And um, Dick Smith turned up, and uh, it was at Orange Helicopters we were. And you know, Dick loves helicopters. He flew around the world a couple of times in a helicopter. So I had the chance to talk to Dick Smith. Come and listen. I'm in the hangar at Orange. Orange Helicopters, I think they're called Dick Smith, aren't they? They are, yep, and I've just opened it. They've put it, built this brand-new hangar, and they, Macca, they're an endangered species. Mm. Do you know what that is? Well, I've got an idea. Tell me. It's, a, it's an Australian aviation business that's Australian-owned. Quite wonderful, because all of the big helicopter companies are now basically all foreign-owned, those great big rescue companies, which is a real pity. But I've come to Orange because this is an Aussie family-owned business. When you grew up, Aussie helicopter companies, do we yeah. have those? Yeah, when I first got into helicopters 40 years ago, there was a big company, was Lloyd Helicopters, owned by Guy Lloyd in Adelaide. But he ended up selling out to some big... English company, and then other companies all sold out, and so all of the big ones now are foreign-owned. And yet helicopters are really vital now. You look at bushfires, you look at floods, you look at agriculture, you just need helicopters all the time. Absolutely. I mean, this operator, I think they have about seven helicopters here in Orange, a small country town, and uh, the helicopters are needed in flood times, of course, but then the reverse, in bushfire times, they're needed. So they're incredibly versatile. One of the reasons I reckon you came up is because you thought you'd have the opportunity to see Max Hazelden again, and, of course, Max just recently died. Exactly right. I was invited up here to open this new hangar, and I was going to do the opening with Max Hazelton. Now, Max was 94 years of age. I thought, this will be fantastic. I love Max. Started Hazelton Airlines, and, of course, it was Max who famously crashed his Oster in the Blue Mountains and took five days to walk out. They all thought he was dead. So I wanted to come and see Max, but only a few weeks ago, Max lost his life. The other thing that uh, you, you spoke about, and I bumped into him a minute ago, was uh, I met a bloke called John Cameron. Now, and you mentioned him in your speech because he's a bloke that actually fixes helicopters and planes, I suppose, but uh, it wasn't for those blokes, nothing had happened. Absolutely. John has been running an engineering firm at Bankstown Aerodrome for 50 years, fixing helicopters. I owe my life to John because he's always fixed my helicopter and it's always been safe. The most amazing thing about John is, hasn't got a lot of money, but because there's such a shortage of maintenance engineers, John came up with $500,000, which he gave to the Helicopter Association Australia to start scholarships for young apprentices, boys and girls, to learn to become helicopter engineers. So what a fantastic thing to do. He mentioned to me that what he thinks is happening today is that youngsters don't have hand skills. They grow up with a mobile in their hand, but not a screwdriver or a hammer or a pair of snippers or something. And he says hand skills are the things that you need. He's absolutely right. I hadn't thought of that, but he's absolutely right. All of my grandkids just play with their iPhones. I, as a kid, used to build things with tin snips and with a soldering iron. I always had lots of hands-on skills. He's right, most kids don't have that today. And here's the problem, that aircraft still need to be maintained. You need maintenance engineers, and they need to be really practical people, people who can work with spanners and with nuts and bolts, because we have to maintain, we have to keep all the aircraft maintained. 
You're off soon to a little, um, what's it called, a natural phenomenon in Australia. Well, tell me the story. Yeah, I'm going to search for a place called Running Man. Now, we've all heard of Marie Man down near Marie, <laughs> but north of Birdsville, way out there in the arid zone, is something called Running Man. And it's a formation down in the rock which looks as if it's a person running. It's about a mile high. It's huge. It's completely natural. It was found by Ray Martin, the television journalist. He was in an airline flying, I think, to Singapore and he looked out on the window and he saw this so he spent years in going back to try and find the place sorry about the helicopter noise but it <laughs> we'll is a heli- that. We'll have to ban that. Yeah. it is a helicopter <laughs> fact company isn't it but uh, anyway Ray Martin looked down and saw this figure in the desert and so he went back a number of years ago I've now worked out the position by looking on Google Maps and so I'm going to head up in the Cessna caravan fly over and have a look at the area from above it'll be fascinating Dick, the other thing you mentioned in your speech was land and live. Yes, Macca. Look, there's been quite a number of helicopter crashes in the last few years where helicopter pilots have got into bad weather and have ended up crashing and killing themselves. And uh, so we have this new saying, it's through the Helicopter Association, it's called Land and Live. And the Civil Aviation Safety Authority have agreed that if ever you're in bad weather, you can land anywhere. You won't, no one will take any action against you. Land and live and be safe. And so that's the great thing about a helicopter. Bad weather, you can put it down. And we've got to get pilots to do that, not to try and keep flying in bad weather. It seems also that fixed-wing pilots often take off when they know there's bad weather around, and that can be very dangerous. It seems to me, I'm not a flyer, but most of your accidents happen in bad weather. Yeah, most of them do happen in bad weather, and it's it's just as applicable to fixed-wing pilots land and live. I remember when I first got into fixed-wing flying, I didn't have an instrument rating, so I couldn't fly in cloud. But so often would we have to land and wait, and one day I was forced down at Narandra Airport in really bad weather. And you wouldn't believe it, no one else could fly except a helicopter came in and landed. And I walked over to the pilot and I said, how come you're flying in such bad weather? And he said, oh, he said, with a helicopter, you just fly under the cloud. And if ever it gets too low, you land and have a cup of tea with somebody. (laughs) And I suddenly realised that's the type of flying I want. And so ever since I've had a helicopter, I've always been prepared to land when the weather's bad and have a cup of tea with somebody. Dick, as Dean described you, he said you're inspirational man. You're not Mari man, you're inspirational man. Uh, lovely to talk to you, mate. Great to talk to you, Maka. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, Dean Bruce is with uh, Orange Helicopters. Uh, that's a very hot machine you've got there. The red machine. You said you were at the Orange Airport yesterday. Dick Smith came up and helped you launch the new hangar. And you took him for a burn in. What did, what did he say about the, the helicopter? What's a, a, a jet? Uh, it's a Bell 407, and um, it's just over 12 months old or since it's been refurbished. And uh, Dick hadn't been in the 407 before. So um, I had the privilege of taking Dick for a fly in our uh, prior to the fleet. And we went out over the south of Orange to the Katy Mines and down to Junction's Reefs. And he was very impressed. He had a little steer and he liked it. Yeah. Lovely, a lovely machine. And you've got, what, seven helicopters there? No, no, don't talk me up, Macker. I've got four machines and that's enough, believe me. (laughs) Now, you were involved here. Tell Australia what you did when these floods were on. Yeah, well, we were deployed. We had two machines um, parked up in um, uh, parks and I had one machine in in Orange and uh, two of them were deployed uh, to Yagara. Our squirrel helicopter um, 
sat about 500 feet higher than all the winch machines because it was quite chaotic at the time and the squirrel had a um, SES personnel on board and they coordinated uh, where the helicopters were going to go and it was as simple as white helicopter to the green roof to your right, red helicopter you know, to the red roof in front of you because um, really the aviation side of things hasn't seen anything of this scale before. Um, I think the, um, the agencies learnt a lot from the Lismore experience and they were pretty quick to respond. Um, it was not as quick as we would have liked because actually the Parks Airport was cut off by the, um, the creek between Parks and the airport. So we actually had to get uh, aircraft over into Parks, pick up the pilots, fly them over to the airport so they could get in their machines and respond to the emergency on that day. Tell me about, uh, this is the creek here, is, is this Mandadgeri Creek behind us here? That's the Mandadgeri, yeah. It's, um, it sort of all starts on the western side of Mount Canobolis over my way and uh, it's pretty high country over there. So it gets a lot of momentum between um, Mount Canobolis and here. There's about uh, just over 4,000 feet uh, drop in elevation so it had a fair head of steam up and um, just record amount of rain and storms that happened between here and Orange on that particular night. And uh, yeah, that, as we all know, it was absolutely devastating. Um, you called uh, Dick Smith um, inspirational man and he reckons you're an inspirational man too. I mean, uh, what was it like uh, for you and your helicopters, back and forth and back and forth, I suppose, was it all the time? Yeah, well, we, um, I had the, this Red Bell 407 and I was um, what I call freelancing around. It wasn't deployed and I didn't make it available to the state emergency because I, I learned a lot in the 2016 floods and... Um, Although the agencies do a fantastic job, there's still a, an enormous amount of um, private people that needed assistance. So I, I kept one machine available to freelance, so I was very busy in it. And um, our twin engine BK was involved uh, in the evacuation from the uh, Yugara folk from uh, the showground over to Orange. I think there was 14 helicopters working that particular day. And our squirrel was also very involved as well. So. Um, you know, it was uh, it was chaos. It was devastation. Um, you know, the aviation sector rallied with the agencies, and we uh, we done the best we could. We got as many people out as quick as we could. Now, just I'll just put this recipe book down. I'm just going to get a seat and sit down. Uh, just grab a seat, Danny. I've got to sit down because it's killing me. Um, tell me, um, you've got your your business called Orange Helicopters. How did you? Um, how did you get into helicopters? It's all right, yeah, it's fine. How did you get? Uh, how come you you're flying helicopters and not pistol shooting? We'll get into that later. <laughs> uh, well, I went for a ride in a helicopter, and that was the most expensive ride I think I've ever had. So, uh, uh, ten years later, uh, we put a plan in place. We thought it would take ten years, and um, you know, I studied up and got my commercial license, and uh, I leased a machine for about six months and um, I thought, you know what, I can, I can make a go of this and uh, here we are 15 years later and, um, you know, the honour of uh, Dick Smith coming up to open our new hangar facility and nine staff and four machines and, um, yeah, we're, we're still rocking along. Dick says you're an endangered species. People like you're an endangered species because you, you own a, a, a... Well, he Dick's interested in aviation business, but I suppose it applies around Australia. I and mean, we've talked about it on the program over the last 10 or 20 or 30 years. People, you know, Australian businesses are um, forced to sell out or whatever for whatever reason. It's tough to do a business, and then especially in aviation, if you talk to people like um, Doug Sprigg or um, in uh, Arcarilla or Dick Smith. They have a jaundiced view about bureaucracy and uh, and aviation in Australia. So um, 
he's a, he thinks you're fantastic because you're still in business and there's no Australian um, owned uh, helicopter businesses. Whereas when he grew up, he said there was Lloyd's. There was a lot of companies that were flying helicopters. Yeah, he's true, and we all know how passionate Dick is about uh, the Australian-made product, and uh, he's, a, he's a homegrown legend himself, and uh, I, I certainly don't think I'm too inspirational to Dick Smith. He's the king of inspiration, but, uh, yeah, he's right. There's, um, you know, most of our major contracts now are all foreign-owned, and uh, I suppose we are in the minority group. Uh, I don't know about being an endangered species, but uh, I'll take on board what Dick says because he's just such an inspirational legend, and... Uh, He's obviously part of the reason I'm here. He said, hey, listen, do me a favour and slip out and see Macca. And uh, he said, return the favour. And if, if Dick Smith's given me time to come out and uh, open my facility, I can only be uh, obliging in returning the favour and coming out and having a chat with you. Well, it's, it's great to see you. But I, and I, I think when I uh, look at um, what's happened in Australia, apart from COVID, I mean, uh, it's been a land of bushfires and floods in the last, what, 10 or 15 years. And I suppose that's opened a... Uh, everybody's got to stay in business, uh, a window of opportunity for you in lots of ways. You started off really doing some joy flights and taking tourists around and that sort of disappeared in, in lots of ways, hasn't it? Yeah, well, the business has certainly evolved into uh, working for the agencies. Um, we still do a lot of tourism and, and uh, it's sort of our week-to-week work back in Orange and we love taking people around. But when we started, yeah, we had one machine. We used to fly out to Oberon and Warren and Forbes and Parks and all places to shows and it was spinning the chocolate wheel really. We were just hoping there was people going to be uh, generous enough to come and have a $55 helicopter ride and we worked hard and that's how the family got so involved. My, my two sons were loading helicopters from quite a young age and we worked tirelessly and we had to get enough hours, enough experience and then enough um, suitable machines to be able to go into the state government and federal government agency type work. and. Uh, yeah, we've been doing that now for 10 years and you know, this last six to eight months we've pretty well rolled straight from four months of pretty flat out flood work. Uh, I think we had about a week break and uh, and we were rolling straight into, um, in, into fireworks. So it's been a pretty intense five to six months, yeah. I'm talking, this is uh, Australia all over. We're in uh, Apex Park, that's right, isn't it, in Yugara, And I'm talking to Dean Bruce. Now, uh, Deany, I'll get on to your pistols in a minute. Um, I was talk. I was talking to your dad yesterday and your mum. Was it your mum? Uh, is that Trisha or? Yeah, Patricia. Patricia. Yeah. yeah. And she said to me, she said, Ian, I don't know if she's are they here yet? No, probably not. Um, but uh, I thought they were going to come. Maybe they from Orange. We're not far from Orange here. What, about an hour from Orange would we be? A bit more. Uh, a bit less than an hour. Well, they're actually living in Grenfell, so they're not that far away, really. Yeah, I don't know whether they're here yet or not. No. Anyway, um, your mum said to me. Uh, Oh, Ian, do you know about the goats? And I said, no, I don't know about the goats. Um, she said, look, um, you know, goats can't swim. And and I always grew up knowing that animals, all animals can swim. If you throw a little baby kitten or a baby dog or a snake or whatever in the drink, they'll swim. Everything. The only things that I've, I thought can't swim are, are little kids. You know, like if you throw a baby, they'll drown. But but animals, will, they can all swim. But she told me this story. I don't know. You might know about it. She's probably told it to you. Maybe she hasn't. But it was, I was amazed. She said, well, the goats, goats got washed up into the trees and they're up in the trees and then they fell out into the water and they just went round and round and round and they drowned because they can't swim. Did you know that goats can't swim? I didn't know that. I thought all animals could swim. Well, it was a bit of a shock to me too, Mac. I, uh, 
I was tasked to fly the Darling River um, when the floods were on. The water was about Louth at the time. It's very slow moving out there because it's pretty flat. And uh, the DPI and the LLS got me to um, fly both sides of the Darling to try and identify any potential um, uh, stock stricken areas because we'd, we'd, we'd been involved with some pretty big sheep lifts. We moved sort of uh, several thousand sheep with the helicopters slung underneath in sheep crates. And that's quite expensive, so they were pretty keen to try and uh, identify any potentials out there. And um, much to my amazement, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of goats up trees. And I said, what's going on here? I had an LLS guy on board and he goes, goats can't swim. So he said, they're, uh, they've been caught and they're up the trees. And it was quite mind-blowing how far up the trees these jolly goats were. So it was uh, quite amazing. We've got several photos and, uh, yeah, they were up there. And I flew that river for um, two and a half days and they hadn't moved. They were still there. It was amazing. That's why I love doing this program, ladies and gentlemen, because I meet all sorts of interesting people. What about the bloke over? He says, "When I get, if I get, he's ninety, and he says, if I if I get rehatched, if I get rehatched, he says I'll come back as a, yeah, whatever, as, as an electrician." Um, <laughs> Deanie, I'm talking to Dean Bruce. Um, Dean, tell me about your passion, your other passion apart from helicopters. It's um, is it pistol shooting or rifle shooting or what? Yeah, pistol shooting. Yep. Um, How did you come to that? Well, a, a second cousin of mine took me to the uh, Forbes Pistol Club uh, many, many years ago and he said, uh, you know, if you're lucky, we might give you a shot at the end of the day. And anyway, I hung around like a homeless dog all day and finally they, uh, they gave me a shot and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. And if, if I ever moved to a town with the Pistol Club, I, I might join. And you did. I and you have. <laughs> yeah, I certainly did. Uh, yeah, I've been involved. I think I've been on the state team for uh, 27 consecutive years now and... I was shot um, not only all around Australia, I've been very, very fortunate and uh, I've represented Australia ten times now and been all around the world. So my my sporting passion's, um, you know, been very good to me. I've worked hard, but being superseded now by my son, he's, um, he's the current world champion and uh, he's uh, been ranked number one in the world for some time and uh, he's just... Um, He's white hot at the moment. We're, we're off to Darwin in a fortnight to the national championships, which is the, the grand final of the selection criteria uh, for the Australian team. And um, Pete's, Pete's, there's Peter Bruce and then there's Daylight and then there's a few of us that are uh, challenging for the, uh, for the other position. I'm in the hunt, so uh, I'm, I'm tr- currently training and hopefully I can uh, have the absolute honour of not only representing Australia but shooting alongside of my son at the world championships in Sweden later this year. There you go. How about that? Uh, just tell me something quick. I'm talking to Dean Bruce. What's what's the deal with uh, being a good pistol shot? Is it being able to hold your hand steady? Is that the the first and last thing you need, or the only, one and only thing? Oh no, it's uh, at that level. There's a fair bit of uh, mental capacity goes into it. But yeah, definitely being able to stand still and, and execute and deliver a shot. I've never been able to stand still. Here you go. <laughs> okay, you're going to battle. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, when you're competing at world level, it's um, it's a, it's a mind game. So it's all all about who can uh, keep it together on the day. Dean, it's a great pleasure to talk to you. It's lovely. It was it was great at the at your new hangar there at uh, at Orange, and and I bumped into a couple of Qantas pilots. It's interesting, and they came up and said good day. And and w- we've always had calls from from airline pilots. First started when Warwick Taint, a bloke called Warwick Taint, and it was one of the, he was a captain of a, I 
you know, we got a call and I said, G'day, this is Macca. And he says, oh, it's uh, Warwick Tainton here. I'm the captain of the 737. We're just uh, angling in over Longreach and I can look out across here. I'm just ringing you in to give you a weather report. This is about 1989 or 1990. And, I mean, you're stuck in the studio and here's this. It's like being out here, you know, you're in the wide open spaces and trying to bring the people who are listening the just what a lovely morning it is here. And he's up in the corner. He's just, yeah, we're just over Longreach, and I'm looking out across to the Sunshine Coast and looks, you know, and he gives us a weather report and, and then over to the east and then and then, and then uh, we were going to come into Sydney and catch the, you know, I was trying to catch the, um, you know, the, the winds and whatever, but we, yeah, we got held up. So, we've done, you know, just a lovely call, you know. And anyway, these two Qantas blokes were in your thing, uh, your hangar yesterday at Orange and... And I said, oh, yeah, we get we sometimes get calls from Qantas pilots or um, what's the new ones? Um, uh, Ansett went, didn't they? Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm old-fashioned. It was Virgin. Yeah, Virgin. And and uh, and I said, but we haven't had many calls. We got, I said, we got one in COVID where a bloke used to ring us. He said um, he was flying because there weren't many flying in COVID. Uh, I suppose you weren't flying much in COVID. No, certainly not. <laughs> And uh, he said, oh, Macker, I'm taking, we're taking asparagus and lobsters up to Singapore. And I thought, that's a nice meal. Um, <laughs> and that's what he was doing. But we had a couple of calls. But the two blokes told me that they can't, I don't think they can call from the cockpit anymore. It's something to do with regulations again and uh, whatever. And they can't get on their mobile phone. But then I, I remembered that the people who were on those condemned flights when 9-11 happened, those awful bastards who, who did that nefarious deeds and uh, and some people called their loved ones and he said but yeah he said you can do that in america there's some you know you can call on your mobile phone from a plane in in america but you can't do it here uh, i don't know but um yeah so i missed the so it was a lovely morning there all sorts of people aviators aviators are interesting people and john campbell i met the bloke who actually fixes helicopters where you, you wouldn't be anywhere without people like that. Uh, no, the engineers are the absolute godsend. Uh, so, you know, they, they, they don't put themselves on a pedestal, but the, but the pilots certainly do. We, we obviously can't um, operate or survive without them. They're absolute legends. They're just behind-the-scenes guys. And, uh, you know, John Cameron's another very, very inspirational, um, iconic Australian uh, in the aviation industry. He's good friends with Dick. And uh, when I invited John, it was a little late, um, getting the invite out to him and he said, uh, listen, I've got a pretty busy schedule, I'll see what I can do. And uh, 48 hours later, Dick rang and said, oh, guess what, John Cameron's coming up in the helicopter with me. It absolutely made my day because those two guys are very, very inspirational, iconic men. Just like you, Dean Bruce, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks for flying out in your, in your red machine. Please thank Dean Bruce. Good on you, mate. It's a pleasure to meet you. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Mac. I appreciate your time. Please, thank you. G'day, Maka. This is Kevin Bohay. I'm calling from Joetsu, Japan. Kevin. Yeah, well, tell us the story, Kevin. Yeah. What are you doing there in... What's it called? Joetsu. Joetsu, yep. Joetsu, yeah. Oh, OK. Um, well, the first thing, I'm, first thing is I'm visiting my partner. I'll be here for the next four weeks. But today we're going to a town called Noetsu, and that is where there was uh, one of the prison camps uh, during World War II. was uh, Camp 4B, a very notorious camp. Uh-huh. Yes. So, and we'll be visiting that, and then we'll go and visit the temple that was also close by. That has a history. I read a book by Roger Maynard called Hell's Heroes, and uh, 
that was some years ago, and I've always had this uh, desire to come and visit this camp. And the fact that it will be Anzac next Tuesday is, uh, you know, pretty good. So uh, a good time to be visiting here and um, tight. Yeah, Australians. So, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So this this camp was probably well, I didn't do much about the camp, but uh, Angela Jolie made a movie called Unbroken, and so that was about one of the American prisoners that was uh, came in from some very harsh treatment from the. Uh, prison guards and the prison officers there. Uh-huh. So, yeah, yeah Australians so, are on the road all over the world. Um, and you said you were visiting your partner. Tell me that story. Yes. <laughs> it's a long She's laughing now. It's a long story, Mac. I met her about four Well, we've got five ago. minutes. Uh, okay. Well, I lost my wife in 2018 to cancer, and then uh, this lovely Japanese lady walked into my life. So, yeah. So we've been... Visiting each other when we can, um, and uh, obviously COVID uh, had a bit of a, a road bump there for us, so we couldn't see each other for a couple of years, but uh, we're still together. Uh, and yeah, so, so yeah, very well, good. Yeah, stretching across the world. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. I've always I wanted to go to Japan. Haven't had the chance, but one day maybe. One. Uh, how have you well, found it? You've been going there back and forth, and. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually a beautiful country, Mac. I'm looking out the window now at the snow-covered mountains. Uh, you're 8 degrees, so you've got a heat wave, because here it's uh, 3 degrees. All oh, right. And so uh, <laughs> I was here in uh, January, February, so the daytime temperature was uh, minus 2 and the nighttime temperature was minus 5. Uh, but that was uh, in uh, Kanazawa, where my partner comes from. So, yeah, so and we had it, a good time then. But Yeah, uh, I'm talking to Kevin. He's in... Uh... Where are you? Where are you again? Joetsu Miyoko. Yeah, and isn't it, isn't it funny to <laughs> yeah. think that Japan was? Uh, you know, we absolutely many of us hated Japan uh, around oh, the war yeah. and after the war, and now they're really our best friends, aren't they? In lots of ways, certainly um, internationally, when you look around the world. Yes, we were chatting about that this morning, and. Uh, yeah, it was a terrible time in, in the history, um, right around the world, actually, you know, with World War Two. But, uh, no, Japan is a beautiful place. It's a fascinating place. The, the people are somewhat conservative, but they're, they're nice people. And um, I've just enjoyed my visits over here, so it's really good. Well, Kevin, it's nice to talk to you. And thanks for your call. Um, enjoy your, your visit to the other place. What's it called? Uh, Noetsu. Noetsu, yeah. Koetsu and Noetsu yeah. and all the Sus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and where, where are you from in Australia? Sorry, Kevin? Victory, uh, Tree, Tree, Wollongong. Uh-huh. Victory in Wollongong, it's my suburb, yeah. So uh, I was born in Yeovil, out in uh, Western New South Wales, but my parents moved down there when I was about four, and, and uh, Wollongong is uh, one of, uh, to me, is one of uh, Australia's jewels, so, yeah. All right, Kevin. Thanks for your call, mate. Nice to talk to you from your All right, so I'm going to I'm gonna say, <laughs> say a couple of words in uh, Japanese now. So uh, thank you for taking my call. Yeah. So arigato gozaimasu and ohayou gozaimasu is good morning. All right, I was going to say, I so hope you're not swearing. Thank you, Kevin. Great to talk <laughs> to you. Please thank Kevin, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Kevin. Sean... Uh, which one of the reasons we're here. Janet's the other reason. Where's Janet? She's, I think she's gone. Oh, she's out the back. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, Sean, you're with the Progress Association here at Yagara. Uh, I am in, yes. Yes, the president of the Progress Association. Tell me about your last, uh, what, November it happened? Yes. Was it six months ago? Is it nearly five? Five, five and a half months and... Um, the Progress Association quickly responded with a, a flood committee to um, respond to the requirements of the community to um, to work on the recovery. You must have been bewildered because it was a bewildering flood. It's not just a flood, was it? It was uh, people describe it as a tsunami, and I don't think you can really relay what happened unless you lived through it. Really, it was a uh, yeah, just an unbelievable uh, event which took place in our community, and to to be here and to see it that day. Um, yeah, and the devastation which it's, it has caused. Um, yes, we do have floods, but nothing what we'd seen on seen that day. So, what did what did you do? What do you do when you you got, call everyone together and get a few people together and say you know, and get advice from? Do you get advice from other towns like you know Rochester and Corakai and Lismore and places that have been knocked around? Not initially, Ian, um, but uh, subsequently we've been talking to those communities and, and to uh, those who, have, who support from a disaster relief and recovery perspective. But uh, we come together as a, as a group and uh, we, we quickly um, commenced holding daily recovery meetings, which involved a lot of the government agencies and support agencies who were on the ground very quick to uh, assist Yagara and our residents in uh, working out a plan of, of recovery. So, uh, and how's it been? How's it, how's it looking now? You're five months on. I think if you look around town, it's, uh, it's looking very picturesque, but you, you don't need to dig too far. And particularly at night, you uh, drive down the streets and you can see through the homes, which still have no walls. Uh, and you don't need to dig too deep to find uh, people who, who are still traumatised by the situation. Um, but we continue to... to be positive and uh, to work on things on a daily basis to move forward and to get our community back up and running. In some ways, uh, as I've always said, and when you look after, you know, droughts and especially bushfires and floods, it's sort of renewing in some sort of a funny way, isn't it? You know, I mean, do you get the sense that, you know, Yugara will be renewed, you know, in, it might be six months or it might be six years, but it'll be a different place and in some ways it'll be better than it was. We Yes, we've got to look at uh, this disaster as an opportunity in moving forward and, and as we rebuild and we look through our community now and after five and a half months we've had some significant community assets um, fixed up and uh, repaired and we need to keep working through those corners of the community as well as uh, our residents and their homes as well. That It is that renewal process and we take this as an opportunity to move forward. And that's what happens in life, isn't it, really, when you... And you don't even need a, you know, a bushfire or a flood, but you know things change all all the time. But I mean, it just gives you an, op- as you said, it's an opportunity to say, well, okay, we can fix that that we were always going to fix, and that's going to be fixed, and that's going to change. And and as the bloke said to me the other day, he says, well, again, it's not all bad, Macca, because me, me house got washed off its place, but another house got washed on, and it had three bedrooms. Um- <laughs> There's a lot of people laughing, Maka, because we did have a house and ours did get washed about 600 metres down off its block. So uh, many of us have been impacted in that way. So, <laughs> so Sean, um, I suppose you didn't, you, know, you never think about this, but yeah, for you personally, you've, uh, your life's changed, I suppose, Im- immeasurably. 
it has changed, um, but it's for the positive and it's great to be able to, to help our community and help our residents and to be able to make a positive contribution to the, to the community and the, the wider community. Sean, your last name is? Haynes. Sean Haynes. Sean Haynes. Ladies and gentlemen, please thank Sean. Um, lovely to talk to you, mate, and thanks for having us here in New Thanks for being here, Ian. Thank you. Pleasure. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.